Hello, true believers. Boy, oh boy, am I excited. A, because I figured out, well, I guess the main reason. I figured out what's wrong with my phone. No, I didn't figure out what's wrong with my phone, but this is the fifth time I've recorded this exact same episode because there's been glitches on my phone. And this particular one, if it works, which I hope it will, um, I'm using different software on the phone, which seems to work okay. But I'm also trying a different audio setup as well and seeing if that does anything. Yes, the trials and tribulations uh, of uh, doing a podcast. Sometimes your episodes are lost, even after you recorded for an hour. So, I want to talk about Marvel SDCC. Marvel was in Hall H at San Diego Comic Con, and a whole bunch of announcements were made. My wife and I were talking about a bunch of them last night, and um, I think I'm going to talk about them all in little bits and blurbs. But the most important thing I gleaned from all the information that came through. Uh, the thing I figured out was how they're going to bring the Fantastic Four in. What, you say? None of that was revealed at Comic-Con. No, none of that was revealed at Comic-Con, but there was enough hints of it. They did say the Fantastic Four is coming, and they pretty much left it at that. But what I'm going to say is they did release enough details and enough information. I'm going to my coffee. This is a coffee... Uh, inducing um, <laughs> you hear that I made a cafe latte this morning because I love me my cafe latte so so they announced everything that's coming they announced all the new movies all the new TV shows um, everything that we're going to see over the next little while and the one thing that of note that I just want to bring up here in this particular segment is that they release the or they give us the release schedule for the next I don't know 10 projects whatever it works out to be and of those 10 projects they included the TV shows in the release schedule date which I don't remember seeing them do before they never said, you know, uh, Avengers is coming out and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then whatever the next film was. They never re- they never showed it in that way. This time, they said um, Black Widow's coming out and then um, the next movie, I can't remember what it is. I don't have the order in front of me. But then after that is going to be uh, the first TV series, maybe WandaVision, and then Doctor Strange, and basically there, there's a chronology to the movies and the TV shows, which they didn't have before, which basically shows that Marvel is having a full integration between the TV shows, at least on the streaming series, uh, and the movies, so we're going to see some interaction, so these are not throwaway TV shows by any stretch of the imagination, these are part and parcel of they're part and parcel of the whole shebang so that's really exciting so what does that mean 
they are introducing in this phase four, if you want to call it phase four, or if you want to call it the new version of Marvel, they're introducing one aspect and they're going hard on introducing that aspect. Uh, there's hints of WandaVision, well no, not hints, they're saying Wand, WandaVision, that Wanda is going to be, Wanda, that being Scarlet Witch, is going to be in the Doctor Strange film. And then her lead up to that film is going to be the WandaVision uh, streaming series. So they're leaning towards the magic. Now in Doctor Strange, Scott Derrickson, the director, indicated that this is going to be a more horror-based movie. There's going to be horror elements in it, and it's going to have scary elements. Now, the Doctor Strange that I know and love, um, who's also a peer of Reed Richards in the comics, we'll get into that in a sec, uh, he's always facing alternate realities, uh, not alternate realities, alternate uh, universes, pocket dimensions, um, and a lot of the visuals that Steve Ditko created for Doctor Strange are scary, uh, mind-bending, um, I mean, these are, these are dimensions that would drive people crazy, uh, and Doctor Strange navigates these horror scapes, for lack of a better term, uh, in his own inimitable style, so... We're introducing more of that side in the next Doctor Strange movie, which is being led by WandaVision. So we are seeing a supernatural element being added to the Marvel Universe, and I think that supernatural element is going to be prevalent in all the properties, including Shang-Chi, which always had a kind of dirty side to things. Yeah, there was tech and stuff like that, but... I think we're going to see uh, magic because when you're talking about the Ten Rings, um, the nature of those rings seems to have a supernatural bent to them in that I think there's a magic side to it. Uh, those rings are mystical. So we're seeing in Shang-Chi the same thing, another supernatural mystical side of things. Um, I think Black Widow might be the anomaly to all these and uh, Spider-Man, which already came. But I think we're leaning towards, okay, this is what we're doing in this new phase, post-endgame. Post uh, some of the other things released, I think Falcon, uh, the Falcon uh, Winter Soldier, I think that's pretty example. I think in what we're pointing out here, and then with the, the idea that Blade is coming into the uh, universe, uh, I think we're leading to making horror uh, a theme in the Marvel Universe, uh, a prevalent new direction, a new spin, uh, awakening this other side of Marvel that, you know, leaves it open to introduce characters like Werewolf by Night or the Night Shift. Look those up. Those guys are cool. Um, or, you know, Frankenstein, like any of those things. It, it, we're opening it up to that. And with the failure of Universal Pictures with their own werewolf mummy thing, Marvel is just seizing this opportunity showing how to do it right. Because the horror side of Marvel is great. So, how does all this lead into the Fantastic Four? Well, I've been reading the Fantastic Four since I was just a little itty-bitty boy, the age of four or five years old, whatever it was, 
and uh, I've followed the series for long times. I've read the entire John Byrne era. I've read a good chunk of the Stanley Kirby era. Um, and uh, basically, I've been collecting it nonstop for years now. At this point, I've gone back and, and reread some of that stuff. And I think the best way to describe Fantastic Four are Imaginauts. Uh, now, Reed is a big, weak, big brain, the smartest man in the Marvel Universe comic side, and on the MCU side, it's always been Tony Stark. Tony Stark's always been the man. Now, with him gone, that leaves a gap, a storytelling gap, in the MCU that's missing. Um, so, they need a big brain. They always need to have someone that can play that role. So, how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to introduce a new big brain, but I think they're going to—they want to do Fantastic Four right, and the right way to do it is a slow introduction of the team, the concept of such a team, and how such a team can exist in this world. So, by introducing the horror elements, the supernatural, the other dimensional elements, these are things that didn't quite fit in with Tony Stark. It was always tech-based, and it was always a tech answer to everything. While Reed Richards was more rounded in his scientific discovery, he, he was a master of all types of science. Um, but particularly, the Fantastic Four were always going into space and going into other dimensions, kind of like Doctor Strange does. Um, and learning about these new species, these new technologies, these new supernatural uh, elements of science... Um, that's the Reed Richards that I know, that I grew up with, that, you know, has appeared. He's an Imaginaut. He's always discovering new things. Instead of building things and develop things, he's learning about the things around him and going out and exploring. He's an astronaut, but an Imaginaut. So, uh, introducing these elements opens up the world to a Reed Richards and makes it more... Uh, feasible for that sort of character to make his debut. And let's not fault anything. If they do the Fantastic Four right, the Fantastic Four is Reed Richards and his companions. Uh, the whole family element is important, but Reed Richards is the leader. Make no mistake about it. So, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see hints of Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four over the next score of movies, the next four or five movies. Uh, there's going to be hints uh, to this big brain, this Imaginaut. They may, they're probably not going to name drop them for a few films. I think we'll see a, a name drop a little later on. But you might see a little Easter eggs like, well, there's this big brain studying these uh, dimensional apertures we're seeing. Because I think one thing that's going to happen is... Because of what Thanos did and that five-year gap, which, why was there a five-year gap? There's a lot of reasons for that five-year gap. It's going to allow certain things to happen. So perhaps Reed Richards and his team have been around for the last five years, but since there's no uh, movies to describe the last five years, there's no what happened in the last five years, all that stuff's missing. That allows Reed Richards to have been in this universe for five years. So as, as Mr. Fantastic or whatever. So uh, I think 
there's going to be build up to, to indicate that. But I think also what we might see in the in the films is the next sets of films are going to tell us what happened in the last five years. I think what Thanos did with the snap, and then consequently what Banner did with his own snap, and then Tony with his own snap, I think the very fabric of the universe has been rattled. And I think that the the veil between dimensions um, is going to be thinner than it's ever been. And by the veil of dimensions, there's all these other dimensions, pocket dimensions, side dimensions, like there's the negative zone. Uh, there's all these realms that, that are what the supernatural is. They're all... I think there's apertures that have opened up into our universe as a consequence of all the shakedown that's happened. And what we're going to see is we're going to see supernatural creatures appearing in our universe now. Probably over the last, potentially over the last five years since the first snap. But I, I'm not sure if they're going to go with that. But suffice to say that I think the introduction of all these types of elements, the horror elements, Doctor Strange is going to be probably working on, you know, on his Sorcerer Supreme bit. And I think over the last five years, I think something called the uh, Illuminati will have appeared. Now, I don't know if they're going to call it that or not, but I think the general principle of the Illuminati is going to be present. And the Illuminati is a group that contained the likes of Reed Richards, Professor Xavier, 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 uh, Tony Stark, Namor, Jesus, um, who else is there? Black Bolt. Um, Jesus, uh, who else is there? Anyway, I, I think there's a group that is working on these apertures and these, all this appearance of. Uh, supernatural elements into the Marvel Universe. I think the Illuminati are working behind the scenes to help the world. And if they don't use the five-year gap, that's fine. Maybe Reed Richards has been along, around all along, working with the Illuminati for the last, you know, Marvel years of ten years, or maybe even longer. If they decide to go with Reed Richards in his 40s, like, you know, he should be when he started out, was in, was in his 40s. Or, you know, mid-30s or whatever it was. If they go with this concept, I think he's been around for a while, or at least the last five years. And he's been working behind the scenes with the Illuminati, with or without the powers that he had. Um, and I think what happens is Tony might have been offered membership in this group at some point, uh, which might see the potential return of uh, seeing Robert Downey Jr. maybe just do a cameo to explain the Illuminati, that I think that'd be cool, and I think he'd be willing to do something like that. I mean, it'd be, you know, two or three days of filming to do that. But I think what's happening is the Illuminati have been dealing with things on the side, specifically Reed Richard, maybe as the leader of this group, or the preeminent brain in that group. And I think he's been working uh, on, the, on the outside, uh, hidden from everything. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see these super, uh, supernatural elements get bigger and larger and the threat to our plane be more prominent. And either Reed Richards is going to step up in terms of more public face uh, and bring his team with him, his Fantastic Four, 
or he's going to separate uh, separate from the Illuminati and just step out and you know do his thing. I think that he's going to have. I think he's going to leave the Illuminati at, at, at some point, and maybe that's going to be his introduction. But I think in the Illuminati, I think we're going to see Victor Von Doom's in there, and I think there. This is the schism that you're going to see between the two characters, and I think Doctor Doom potentially may be revealed first before Reed Richards is in the MCU. Um, and I think it's going to be their disagreement over what to do about these apertures and Victor Von Doom is always going to be willing to sacrifice people for the greater good of all of the all um, and I think Reed is always going to be like well there's always a way to do this without anybody dying and I think that they're going to be attacking one of these schisms and um, I think that's where you know Von Doom gets the whole armor basically you know, he, his face gets broken up and he becomes he, he becomes actual Dr. Doom and I think that's going to be the advent of Dr. Doom now I think elements of this of everything I'm talking about here I think is going to be uh, occurring uh, as easter eggs in the background so maybe we, we, we might see mentions of uh, of Doom on Doom or, or whatever and then there's going to be elements of, well, there's a Baxter Corporation that's looking into this. Um, and maybe, as you know, as many people speculated earlier, the Avengers Tower uh, in New York City is probably going to be overtaken by the Fantastic Four. I, I, I think I can see that happening. Um, and that becomes the Baxter Building, the, the corporation uh, of Fantastic Four. I, I, I think we're going to see something along those lines. But I think what's also going to happen is because of the snap, because Thanos was beaten, I think on the world stage, the entire universe has become largely aware of the Earth and its potential for power, damage, that sort of thing. So I think Earth has been put on everyone's radar. And particularly, it's going to come on the radar of Galactus, who is insatiable in his appetite. He eats planets that's his role in the universe. He creates balance in the universe by eating planets. And I think what's going to happen is he's going to want to eat the Earth because it is such a... It is so full of superhumans and supernatural elements and all these things that it might be the planet he can eat that will finally sate his appetite. And, and basically... I mean, he's on the... He's always on the look. He eats a planet and he's satisfied for months or years and then he's hungry again and he has to eat another planet. That's the concept of Galactus. But in his search for planets and this is run through some of the Silver Surfer comics and whatnot that if he could just find that one planet that is just so nourishing that maybe he will never need to eat again. And I think the, uh, the introduction of world events that are leading up to Galactus's arrival and if the comics if you remember there was there was a, a firestorm in the sky there was rocks floating above the above the earth we may see different heralds in different capacities showing up on earth as different villains there's going to be a, a multiple film 
lead up to something bad is coming to the Earth, and we're never going to mention it's Galactus. We may not mention Heralds because it's us comic fans are going to know that that's what's coming. But I think we're going to see a precursor of quote unquote Heralds that won't be named as such, but they're going to be the villains leading up to the world event of Galactus arriving. And I think it's going to lead up to the final villain of these, you know, these signs of the quote-unquote apocalypse, which will be Galactus arriving, but that last sign is going to be the Silver Surfer, and he's going to be introduced as a villain, like it was in the comics, you know, two or three issues before Galactus' appearance, and he's going to be turned before the arrival. He's, he's going to have doubts, and he will turn and aid the Fantastic Four, you know, in the final Fantastic Four movie, or the first Fantastic Four movie that happens. But I think we're going to see that build-up. We're going to see those Easter eggs leading up to the world of the Fantastic Four because Fantastic Four could be its own film universe. There's enough stuff in there. So I think we're going to see elements of the Fantastic Four world introduced over several movies leading up to the Silver Surfer's arrival, which is going to herald the arrival of Galactus. And I think this is where... And I think Doctor Doom is one of, maybe not a herald, but I think he's going to be one of the, you know, the Easter eggs that leads to the introduction of the Fantastic Four. I think if Doom came first, it would make sense. Uh, maybe not as Doctor Doom, but as Victor Von Doom in some way. You know, you have him in multiple movies. Uh, he's a guy behind the scenes. Maybe he's already left the Illuminati, if they're going to go with that angle. I think there's lots of options here for them to use. Um, to lead up to the Fantastic Four, but I think the world that they're building, and actually with Spider-Man Far From Home, I, I, I haven't seen it yet, but they're introducing the uh, alternate worlds and alternate realities. This is this is Fantastic Four, like to a T. Um, so actually, Spider-Man does fit within you know what they're doing with WandaVision, with Doctor Strange. They're introducing universe is a larger whole, that side that Doctor Strange and the Fantastic Four are dealing with all the time. And I think Doctor Strange is a, a perfect way to introduce Reed Richards because if, you know, they're both part of the Illuminati, whatever they're going to call it, but I think that's what we're going to see. That is my theories, folks. Um, I do want to talk about the individual series one at a time or in groups or chunks. But I think uh, the Fantastic Four is the next Avengers. Uh, I think it's the next big event movie. Uh, and I think we're going to see the Fantastic Four have their own film. Uh, I mean, that'll be the event movie. It'll be Fantastic Four leading the heroes. Because really, the Avengers, after the loss of so many of their people over, you know, over the last Avengers movie, I think the Avengers as a team is not really there, and I think they don't have a uniting team. I don't think they have a uniting team now, and I think the Fantastic Four is going to be that next team event film. Anyway, that's what I got for you. Hope you enjoyed this episode, this uh, clip, and we'll add on to this with other clips soon. Ciao. Let's continue this along, true believers. All right. What else do we have coming up? After, I, so I'm not sure the actual release schedule of these things, so I'm kind of guessing because 
the nature of this show a lot of the time is I'm doing this in my car and as much as I would like to have notes pasted on my front windshield it is not safe to do so so please keep that in mind um, so we've got the WandaVision series which I think we've talked about at length uh, at the beginning of this episode but the uh, the WandaVision I believe leads into Doctor Strange um, so let's cover these two in one fell swoop. Here's what I think is going to happen with Wanda Vision. Um, it's interesting. It's called Wanda Vision. One word. It's not called Wanda and Vision. It's not called Scarlet Witch and Vision. It's called Wanda Vision. And if, if I've got a lot of encyclopedic knowledge in my head from the Marvel Comics side of things and sometimes some of this stuff moshes together and mixes together and sometimes that's how I come up with some of these theories that I come up with but uh, sometimes it comes up with weird combinations or timelines or the names of things so I believe the, the series WandaVision where Wanda uses her powers to because keep in mind in the comics reality changing powers uh, it used to be her magic was probability manipulation, but basically it's it's a wish power that she has. So in that series, if it's the one I think it is, Wanda creates a family from her will. Wanda's gone through so many ups and downs in the comics, so many, uh, so much drama, so much. Like, this, this poor gal. Like, honestly, this poor gal. She's been through so much. So, in WandaVision, she manufactures her own family. And uh, I haven't read the series, but I read the synopsis of it. And it was one I've almost picked up a bunch of times. But um, it's a happy, idyllic family that she builds from pure will uh, using her magical powers. I think we might see something like this here. I think her grief is going to be so great that I think we're going to see, we're really going to see the reality warping ability that she has. And if you think about it, they hinted about it in the Avengers movies. She was the only one that could destroy an Infinity Stone. A human being destroying an Infinity Stone. Think about that. I mean, it's there. It's in the MCU. They've said that she was able to destroy Vision's Infinity Stone. That's freaking impossible. So they are hinting at alpha level power here. Alpha level power. Uh, in the comics, there's very few that wield it. I mean, there was Wanda, and then there was, uh, I think Magneto was alpha level. There's very few that have it, but she's there. That's she's one of those. So, if they basically showed it in the movies, it, it's there. So the ability, she is basically an Infinity Stone onto herself. If you think about it, it takes an Infinity Stone to destroy an Infinity Stone, and if she's able to destroy an Infinity Stone on her own without any accoutrement hey this this is uh this is uh 
This is the MCU's version of the Dark Phoenix. There isn't anything she can't do. So, I think we're going to see some of this. We're going to see her getting a, a better understanding of her cosmic level power. Um, and I think, and, and here's another thing that came up in the comic books. Vision did have his entire uh, brain mind wiped. Now, if you recall in the comics, Vision Vision was based on uh, the, the a brain scan of uh, Henry Pym and uh, Hawkeye, and that created the personality that was the Vision. Cool, right? In the comics, it was uh, it came off of Jarvis, uh, which was the the computer program that uh, Tony Stark uses and uh, which was also based off of uh, Jarvis which was the butler for the Stark family as seen in uh, uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Peggy Carter so if his thing is wiped she may have the ability to bring him back but I don't think we're going to see it quite like that I think in the comics they brought Vision back but he just didn't he didn't have that same personality they, they couldn't manufacture a personality it's far too complex even for godlike beings like Wanda but in time he did develop his own personality and we saw the uh, basically kind of the white uh, slit, like off-white uh, version of Vision for a long time in the comics and that was that version, the one that had been mind wiped. So he still had all the AI but he just didn't have any of that personality. Um, and if you'll notice in the Avengers movies, that's exactly what happened after the Soul Stone was, was removed. He was he was just he was a, a colorless version of himself. So I think we're going to see the Vision resurrected in that manner without the personality and WandaVision is going to be her soul searching that happens after uh, after Endgame and her just kind of figuring stuff out but I think we're going to see cosmic levels of power and they've really really hinted that WandaVision is the most important piece of the next phase of movies Kevin Feige actually indicated that in, uh, in his SDCC stuff so I think what we're going to see here is we're going to see, and it was said, but I don't think anybody really paid attention, which is Kevin Feige's uh, magician ability, really, to say, you know what, I told you guys this was coming, and everyone thought it was just an aside, something he had said, and they didn't really read into it, but I'm reading into it big time. I think Wanda's ability to affect uh, the universe... I think is what is going to be the crux to the aftermath to the fabric of, of, of reality, the fabric of the veils between dimensions. I think she's going to be working hard. She's going to be given a prominent role in this new yeah, in this new phase to fix things. But I think her psyche is going to be unable to handle this. And I think this is going to be our Dark Phoenix of sorts. So, I think that's what's going to lead into Doctor Strange and basically looking like, oh my god, we got to repair uh, 
fabric of the universe itself. It's all, you know, it's all messed up and all screwed up. And again, like I said in the earlier part of this episode, is I think now Earth is now on the radar of the god beings. And by god, I don't mean the Asgardians, no. I mean, we're talking about characters like the Betweener, which uh, was often hinted at. Uh, Chaos and Order are two other ones. Uh, there's a Mortis, uh, the Celestials, uh, like all these characters, all these cosmic level characters. I think we're going to start seeing this sort of thing going on. And I, I potentially, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but I think a Secret Wars is likely to happen down the road. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but my gut is telling me it's something that they want to do how they're going to do it if they're going to, you know, follow the same parable, like using uh, a, a being like the Beyonder, who is actually the Tesseract hmm, interesting that the Tesseract is back in play again and the Tesseract, Beyonder was basically a Tesseract and Molecule Man got his powers from a Tesseract that broke open hmm uh, we see Molecule Man, a famous Fantastic Four villain. I could go on. And I will. Um, Doctor Strange is going to be great. I, we talked about this at length. He's going to be dealing with the the, uh, the the veil between dimensions that is incredibly thin at the moment. He's going to be dealing with the multiverse, which is right in the title of his film, Multiverse of Madness. He's going to be dealing with the repercussions of what happened in Avengers. The... the the fabric of reality itself is in trouble. Um, everything's not working as it should. The universe itself, also called Eternity, who's another cosmic figure, I think we're going to see Eternity make an appearance as well. And I think we're going to finally see that introduction of Adam Warlock, who potentially is another role that Keanu Reeves could play. And he could be someone that uh, jumps between all the films um, as a uh, cosmic uh, guardian basically going oh this is broke let's go fix this and making sure things line up to fix that particular rift in space time and then making sure like I, I think you could have Adam Warlock as the guy kind of like the Wolverine in the X-Men movies who's in every single thing and he's the guidepost you could use Keanu Reeves in that capacity uh, everybody loves Keanu and having him popping up here and there in movies would actually be pretty damn cool would they do it? Eh, I don't know, but throwing it out there. But having a character like that, you can even use, uh, uh, oh my god, what's that guy's name? Zac Efron uh, in that role. I mean, he'd be perfect for something like that. Um, anyway, that's my two cents on that. Um, moving along the timeline, the release timeline, after Doctor Strange... I think uh, we covered Loki already. We covered WandaVision. What else we got left? We got What If. Not sure where that's fitting in. Um, but I want to skip What If and jump straight to... There's a Hawkeye series, which is probably going to deal with his dealing with the uh, with Wanda's decision. Is there a chance that we might see Jeremy Renner in the um, Black Widow movie? I think there's a great chance of that. And I think, uh, I think we need that payoff... 
And I think that's a great lead-in, having him in the Black Widow movie, then leading into his own streaming series. I think that'd be great, uh, him dealing with it. But I think in the Hawkeye thing, we're going to deal with his Ronin time. What he's done in the last, you know, what he had done in the last five years, uh, dealing with the grief of uh, the death of his entire family. But I think uh, the thing that was hinted and based on the logo that we saw, Kate Bishop is showing up. We are going to see the younger version of Hawkeye. Um, if you haven't read the Hawkeye uh, series, it is brilliant. Uh, anyone that was a fan of uh, Michael Gatos's art uh, from Daredevil, that great run, that honestly, that's the run that broke Brian Michael Bendis to the mainstream, uh, who ended up being the architect of Marvel for a, a number of years. He was a brilliant writer. Uh, his work on Daredevil with that style of art, well, that's the style of art that you're seeing in um, Hawkeye, in the Hawkeye uh, series. And, I, and uh, this, I'm pretty sure that this series is going to be based on that. Um, and in the series, Hawkeye is down on his luck all the time. He gets involved in these cosmic squirmishes. He's always at the center of things happening in the Marvel Universe, but he's just a guy with a bow and arrows, bow and arrow, and he's always beat up. And in the series, he always has a number of bandages over his body from cuts and scrapes and stitches and broken bones and all this stuff. And I mean, he's a human fighting in a superhuman world, getting the tar kicked out of him. But, and he's always down on his luck in that he's horrible at managing his personal life. I mean, uh, this is something they didn't do in the series, which I don't know how they would touch, but in the, in the, in the comics, is a string of X's is, is ridiculous. Um, you know, there's Black Widow, there's Mockingbird. Um, I think there might even be a Scarlet Witch in there, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, he's, uh, Spider-Woman is another one. But in the comics, or in the MCU, he's got his family, and he's got his wife, and he's deeply in love with his family. And I think I like that version better, but to, I think the series is going to be what did Hawkeye do in between uh, mourning his family. And we might, and this is a prediction, we might see the more comic version of Hawkeye in that five years with his family gone, um, with everything gone to him and nothing to live for, I think he's going to live in a number of bad choice um, romantic liaisons because he just doesn't care. And the um, the Lothario version of Hawkeye, we might even, I don't know, we might see it, but maybe they're going to tame it down as, as they should. Cause, but um, I think that's what we're going to see in Hawkeye and you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of crap on Jeremy Renner and his portrayal of Hawkeye, but, I, you know, I honestly like it. I just think that the way the MCU, the way Marvel Studios has used Hawkeye has been to showcase other characters, and as such, Jeremy Renner and that Hawkeye have really gotten the short end of the stick, which is really unfortunate. And I don't, I, I think this is a chance to make things right, uh, give some depth to the character, but actually finally give him time to breathe all those other big name players with all these fancy schmancy powers Hawkeye has never had the chance to breathe 
uh, to, to have that level of character development that's essential to falling in love with a character. So I th we're really going to see this, and I think Feige is probably putting emphasis on that because of what people have said, because he does listen to us. And uh, I think he's going to make Jeremy Renner and Hawkeye right. And, and the best way of doing so is by going back to the source material, which he's obviously doing based on the logo of Hawkeye. And, uh, I think he's even hinted as such. So very excited for that as well. Um, what else do we got going on? Uh, outside of that schedule, well... This is probably the big one. So I'm going to end with the last two, which is, oh, what am I going to cover first? We're going to cover What If Last, but let's talk about Thor Love and Thunder. In an amazing turn of events, Natalie Portman is returning to Thor. And not only is she returning to Thor, she's going to be Thor. In the comics, she did become the female version of the God of Thunder. Um, taking over the mantle, uh, as, as others have be, before her, uh, most importantly, Ben Ray Bill, uh, the horse-faced alien who took over for Thor, um, with Stormbreaker, I believe that's the hammer he was wielding, which I think ends up being the name of Thor's hammer in Avengers, I could be wrong. Anyway, um... This is a coup. This is freaking awesome, actually. I am a fan of Natalie Portman, um, and she's been particularly glib about her non-return to the movies, and actually, she held herself in... She could have been a, a, a big jerk about everything that happened to her by, the, by Marvel Studios. And uh, let me just go into a bit of detail here. She was... I, th I thought she was delightful in the first Thor, and she was actually one of my favorite parts. She played that nerdy science uh, character to a T, and meshing her with Thor, the bumbling idiot uh, that he was in the first movie. I think that was genius casting, and to get an Oscar winner like herself in the franchise, that was that was one of you know one of those instances of doing that. And I think probably a lot of the reason she did the movie because I don't know if she's a comic fan or not but with Kenneth Branagh directing which I don't care what anybody says I still think the first Thor is a great film it's just a not very accessible film to the general masses but for a comic nerd like me it was right on the nose it was the uh, regalness I expected the campiness that you often see in the comics because it's just so over the top uh, with its mythology and all those sorts of things I thought it was great and I thought that, uh, I mean, I thought she was great in the movie too. Like, she was fantastic and I liked it. And she, I think she had lobbied and she had uh, lobbied for the director of the second film, who eventually went on to direct Wonder Woman instead. How about that for a turn of events? It would have been the first female director Marvel would have had. And I think if they, I have no doubt that if she had directed, well, as the name is escaping me, uh, the lady who made Wonder Woman, come on people, it's just on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, she went on to make Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman is one of the best movies. Uh, it, it's just phenomenal. It is just awesome. Um, 
But if she had done Thor 2, I think Thor 2 would have been a much different movie. There was a, something going on there that she stepped down and instead they got uh, Alan something who did uh, the second Thor, which I did enjoy. I actually still enjoy it, but I think her direction would have been a bit more uh, female empowering, which the series probably could have used at that time because it was really going in that direction. Thor is uh, a fan favorite amongst the women of the world because of, I mean, it's Thor, right? I think going in that direction would have, um, would have kept Thor up with, uh, with its audience. I think Thor 2 could have expanded its audience and been the breakthrough, uh, the breakthrough star over Captain America, really. Um, Jane Campion? Is that what I'm thinking? God, why am I sucking? She's an amazing director and her work on Wonder Woman is phenomenal. All right, well, send me your uh, hate comments. Um, but anyway, um, but they took that director away, and, but because she still had a contract to, full, to fulfill, some felt her performance was a little wooden in the second one. And based on, you know, personally what happened, yeah, you know what, maybe her performance was a little wooden, but think, think of what led, you know, I've, if you get to go to work somewhere where you've been wronged, I mean, she brought that woman in to direct. She brought her in. Um, and then to have, you know, to have it fall apart and say, like, well, I definitely want to do the sequel um, because of the direction it was headed in and all of a sudden it changes gears. As an actor, it's like, oh, okay, well, the CEO of her company changed, which is the movie, right? And, oh, all of a sudden... Um, we're not doing, you know, we're not doing things that we were doing. And now all of a sudden it was a strong, um, it was going to have a, a strong, uh, female, uh, empowering film to now it's just going to be, you know, Thor and fighting some stuff. You know, I, I, I could see the frustration, but I will say she kept her commitment and, and did the film. And I, I think the acting, I think the acting was good enough. Um, on all parts, and I mean the reverence given to it, based on um, Endgame, just shows that it was important. Um, and uh, Taiki Watiti is back as director, who did Thor Ragnarok. And you know what? We probably wouldn't have seen Thor Ragnarok if Thor Two uh, had had a different director. So there's advantages, disadvantages. Uh, but I'm sure what happened was I think Taiki Watiti probably just called her and said, "Look, you need to come back to the franchise. What do I what do I need to do to make this happen?" And I think he just made it happen because he seems like a genuinely great, nice guy. So I think that's what happened there. Anyway, one left. What if? And I have lots of theories about that. One more segment to go, folks. One more segment to go. Right, in this next excerpt of this episode. Here we are. We're going to talk about some of the uh, releases that are coming out over the next phase, or whatever you want to call it, of the Marvel Universe. Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is. Um, the one that's coming out first, the first thing out of the gate, is going to end up being Black Widow. Now, this is a long gestating film, something that's been talked about for a while, 
something that fans have been clamoring for. I think originally it was the intent to be the first female-led uh, Marvel film. Um, it, for some reason, it just it just never got off the ground, and Captain Marvel ended up taking that, assuming that role. I know people are saying the first one was uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I think that was less uh, that sort of thing. But um, Black Widow is finally coming, and and what is it? So it's it's taking place between films. This is showing a bit of background on the character. I'm assuming we're gonna get um, we're gonna get some pre-Avengers stuff. Uh, you know, maybe what led her to, to joining Shield about the that whole program when she was a child that made her infertile. I think that whole thing they were gonna see um, probably. I mean, it's gonna be Captain America-ish in that we're gonna be in the past, but I think we're gonna jump through a few different not timelines but periods of Black Widow's life leading up to the event to the the final two Avengers movies. I think that's what we can be expected to see. Uh, I am excited for this one. I, I would have. I think they could have just put a movie out a few years ago and just done it. But maybe they needed to do more development of the character to raise interest. I know they want to do it right and they want to, you know, see it to fruition and, and see the right thing happen and making sure they have absolutely the right script to make it work. But I think by doing it the way that they're doing now that they've built history with this character. There's there's more interest in the character and what happened before because of the way the story's been laid out that you're going to get more bang for your buck and there's definitely more interest. I don't think Black Widow is going to be a series of films, like a three set of films, um, you know, like the other properties that we've seen. I don't think that's going to happen, which is unfortunate. But... Hey, what can you say? Uh, one of the interesting points about Black Widow is the villain is being revealed as the Taskmaster, which I'm wondering what they're doing with that. And, and the reason the reason I say that is because we had Frank Grillo playing uh, uh, Crossbones. I don't know if he was actually called Crossbones in the in the movies, but that's who he was playing from the comic books. And he had that skull motif. We also had the Red Skull in the first Captain America movie, and I'm wondering, with Taskmaster having that skull mask, maybe they're gonna try to tie all that in together in some way, shape, or form. And maybe Taskmaster is actually part of a larger organization, the Skulls organization, or maybe there is some... Maybe we're gonna see the return of the Red Skull in some fashion, and maybe that's the big surprise of that. Or a hint that this Red Skull, everything that happened with the Infinity Stones and all that, that somehow he's back. And maybe he's been back for a while or something. Like, I'm not sure. It, it just seems really weird that they're taking another Skull-themed um, villain. It, it just, it's too convenient. It's just way too convenient. Or they could have downplayed the, the, the skull face on Taskmaster, you know what I'm saying? Like they're trying to make it, you know, live up to the comic, but they always have ways of tying things in together, tying them up neatly with a bow. So maybe we're going to see something along those lines. So, it would, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll definitely see what happens. I am looking forward to it because I think Scarlett Johansson as an actress, I mean, I've liked her in a lot of different types of movies. 
and she's one of those actresses that transcends genre films. I mean, when she went into to do the uh, Iron Man 2, I'm like, ah, she's the girl from the rom-coms, you know, I wasn't 100% sold, but man, she's really owned the role. She knew nothing about it going in, and she's actually gone and done her homework, and she's actually... I mean, she's a great actress. Don't get me wrong. She's definitely, you know, one of the great actresses of, of, of this of that generation. But I think, I think using her is is a to put her in that role. Even though I I wasn't crazy about it at first, I think she's really come into it on her in her own, and she's really owned it. Um, I'm just wondering if we're going to see anything in this relationship with Bruce Banner, which I, I still seems forced and a bit heavy-handed. And maybe that's something we're going to see in this movie because in Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, I think that whole romance with Bruce was just like, oh, it's there and it's happening. And, I mean, they had reasons to be together, but there was a chemistry there that they, they didn't get to. So I'm wondering if they're going to touch on that at all. Uh, I'm suspecting they might. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, the next movie out of the gate is The Eternals. Now, I'm not excited about it yet, and I'm going to be honest, there was some of the movies I was not excited to see before they came out, and then they came out, and then I'm all over it. Um, this is one that I think, as we start to see uh, teases of it, I think we're going to get more into this. I have a suspicion of what they're doing here. I think they are going to use the Eternals. Uh, as a basis for mythology uh, in the Marvel Universe. And by mythology, I mean, we've got the Teutonic uh, mythology, the, the Norse mythology, um, basically, you know, Thor, Thor, Asgard, all that stuff. We've got that in the Marvel Universe, and that's always been a prevalent, um, a prevalent uh, thing um, in Marvel Comics. But they've always touched, they've always touched on all of the different mythologies, the Greek, the Roman, Egyptian, um, African, uh, basically all those mythologies have always played in, but, uh, you know, because of Thor, by and large, Asgard has got the, the most, um, face time or the most uh, cover time. So I think maybe what they're doing here, because, um, you got Selma Hayek. So first off, you got Selma Hayek in it and you got Angelina Jolie, both Oscar winning, um, Hollywood people um, they both have impressive resumes of work and it's always been impressive when they get one um, iconic actor uh, from the past you know when they got uh, Michael Douglas or they got uh, oh my god I'm, for, I'm, I'm blanking out she was in Guardians of the Galaxy she's part of the Nova the Nova Corps uh, Glenn Close they got Glenn Close they got um you know, they get little, like Silver Sister and Guardians of the Galaxy, like, they, they get, like, legendary actors in uh, Kurt Russell, like, but you, you didn't usually get a couple of biggies in a film, and that's what we got, that's what we're getting in this one, so, to me, this says that Marvel is really banking on this, um, maybe they're putting a little extra effort into this one, and I think what they're trying to do here is, I think they're actually trying to construct... Um, reconstruct mythology uh, because a lot of the characters from the Eternals are really offshoots of Roman uh, Greek mythology 
touched on in terms of gods or mythological gods has always just been the Asgard side of things. We've never seen the other aspects of it. Might this open the door to a Greek and Roman? Or are the Eternals actually the Greek and Roman gods? Because the Greek and Roman gods and basically all the gods are all different kind of permutations or different interpretations of, of, of a basic mythology. There's always uh, a, a Zeus slash Odin slash um, uh, um, um, a little weak on my mythology today. There's always a, a head figure. Then there's always a queen. Then there's always there's always the Aphrodite-like character. And then there's always the um, the Artemis uh, Artemis slash Diana character. And then there's always like in all the mythologies, there's a lot of similarities between them. And are they going to use the Eternals maybe to explain how the the worship of those mythological creatures came from? Are we going to hear the, the explanations for uh, gods on Earth? I don't know. I think that might be something they do because then it expands a whole other side of the universe. I, I don't know if they're going to go full-fledged to it in this particular film, but they might lead towards doing that. And the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason I think they're going to do something like that is I think they really want to introduce Hercules in some way, shape, or form. I think they're going to want some sort of replacement for Thor at some point in time. They're going to want another godlike figure, similar but a little bit different. And I've been a fan of Hercules. I, he was always used in the Avengers comic books as, as a sub-in for when Thor wasn't available. Thor, there was something going on in his comic book and they didn't really want him in the Avengers. They wanted him exploring things, you know, on the other side. Like, Hercules was always the go-to replacement. Like, he had the same level of power. Um, he was kind of a doltish, drank a lot, you know, that sort of thing. Like, we got that. And, and I think with the evolution of Thor as a character, you know, from where he started to where he's been, I, I think maybe they might want to have another character that's like Thor when, you know, just a big party guy and maybe lead it. Now, I don't know if he can get his own film or anything, but it's nice to have someone like that, a, a comedic element uh, to the movies that, that you could use. What's interesting, too, is Hercules was also part of the Champions. Uh, and I th maybe that could lead to something like that, some sort of something similar to that. Um, but anyway, that, that I, I think maybe that's what they're going to lead to with that. Maybe start showing some of the other gods and that sort of thing. Um, and, I mean, I mean, I keep hearing rumors of, you know, trying to get Keanu Reeves into the MCU. If they nabbed Keanu Reeves for the Eternals, I think that'd be a cool... I think I'd rather see him do something else, but we'll see. I mean, to me, he still would make the best Silver Surfer. I think him, of all people, I mean, his Surfer attitude, whoa, I mean, Silver Surfer, I, I don't know. I think he could pull it off, but I think, I mean, he sometimes gets written off as being kind of a, a vapid actor, but he's actually incredibly intelligent, and uh, he, the boy can act, man. There's no doubt about it. He definitely can act. So I think uh, we might, I don't know. It'd be nice to see if something like that happened. Similar, I mean, Vin Diesel's always been teased to do another role in the MCU, as has Bradley Cooper. So maybe we're going to see uh, them coming up along the way. But the Eternals, I'm excited for because I think it's going to be, uh, you know, 
fact that there isn't a subtitle, because I mean, Doctor Strange has a subtitle to it, Shang-Chi has a subtitle, you know, they all got subtitles. This is just the Eternals, so they're basically leaving us all guessing what that's going to mean, so very excited for that. Um, I think after that, I think uh, sh there's, a, there's a TV series in there, I'm not sure which one it might be. I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier falls in it falls next in the continuity and uh, I think what we're going to see here um, I'm less excited about this project I know this is basically um, Falcon taking on the mantle of Captain America uh, post uh, Endgame I think it's probably going to focus on that and maybe I mean the character of Falcon and the character of Winter Social yes they've kind of had a bit of their build-ups in the Captain America films and very, you know, a little bit more in the Avengers films, but not not to the extent we've seen with Captain America or Iron Man or Thor, for that matter. So I think this might be a way of okay, let's build these characters up. So when we do do, um, you know, maybe another Captain America film with someone else in the role of Captain America, or whatever they decide to do in that next phase of a Captain America, I don't think they just want to give him his film right out of the gate. I think they want to build that up. But I also think we're going to see a shared mantle of Captain America between both of them, between Winter Soldier and Falcon, as it was in the comics at different times. I think they're basically going to share that responsibility of carrying on in, in Cap's name. And um, we're going to see that camaraderie build between the two of them. And, um, you know, I think that's... I think, I think it's going to be good. I'm, I'm less excited about that one, I guess, but... I mean, they haven't really revealed much yet. I mean, there's a general uh, intent, but I enjoy them in the Captain America films, both of them. But as individual characters, I want to see what Marvel can do. I mean, they're going to have to explore those two characters like they did with Steve Rogers, which was brilliantly done in the three films. So, um, so that's that. I can't remember. I think there's another TV schedule one after that. Probably Loki, I think. And Loki is taking place after the events of Endgame, where uh, Loki ends up with the Tesseract. So, really what this does, it it reduces the, uh, or eliminates all the stuff that happened between um, the first Avengers film and all the events leading up to Endgame. Or Infinity War, specifically, when uh, Loki bites the dust. But I think what's going to be, what's going to happen here, because he's going to have be in possession of Oh, jeez, I just figured it out. See, that's the that's the magic of these podcasts. He has the Tesseract. And who else had the Tesseract, kids? Red Skull. Is this where they're going to do some payoff with the Red Skull? I think Loki's going to cause some chaos. Oh, my God. Are they going to do... Um, uh, I think it was called Acts of Vengeance in the comics where... Loki, uh, behind the scenes, assembled a bunch of villains. If they go with that... Okay, so in the comics, when Acts of Vengeance happened, Loki, pretending to be somebody else, assembled the great villains. And what he did, uh, it was kind of like uh, an, an Illuminati group of sorts. And it had Doom, it had Magneto, it had Kingpin, it had uh, Namor, I believe. Um... Uh, wizard from the Frightful Four and er, er, 
someone else. Maybe like the Wrecker or somebody. I can't remember. Basically, assemble all these villains and basically switch them up and get them to attack. Um, not the heroes they normally fight. To kind of throw everyone off their game. It was kind of a neat little thing. Um, and we saw Magneto. Oh, and it was Red Skull there too. So is he gonna? If anyone can get Red Skull off of Vormir, it would be someone with the Tesseract. There's an interesting theory. Now, I don't know if you do the whole Axe of Vengeance thing, but the fact that they both had to Tesseract, the fact that we got a, a German guy and, and Red Skull and they worship the, the Aesir or the uh, the Norse gods, uh, an interaction between Loki and Red Skull, man, would that be great. Man, would that be awesome. Maybe we're going to see like a villain show here. I don't know. I'm excited. Now I'm excited. But I mean, Tom Hiddleston, I don't care what he's in. I've seen him in a few different things now. I saw him play Hank Williams Sr., who's brilliant. Very good actor, incredibly underrated, needs to get more work. Anyway, uh, after that, what do we get next? I think we got uh, Shang-Chi uh, immediately after that. It's Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. As I suspected, and as I mentioned multiple episodes ago, I suspected that they were going to get rid of Shang-Chi's dad from the comics because Marvel actually doesn't have the rights for that character. But Fu Manchu was, uh, in fact, Shang-Chi's dad in the comics because they actually bought out the license for Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu is a, is a racist interpretation. Uh, <laughs> It's good they're not using Fu Manchu. That's all I gotta say. I think Mandarin also had that capability or capacity to, to be an incredibly racist character, but um, the fact that they didn't do enough with Mandarin and there was a lot of complaints about it, I mean, Feige listens to the people, he listens to the fans. Um, I can't see him above, not course correcting, but using what came before and, and correct, not correcting it or changing what came before but improving upon what already came and give us what we really want. I mean, he's really good at lip service and paying the fans back. And I think by uh, having the Mandarin finally make an appearance, it lends credence to Shang-Chi. Um, and man, I'm out of the whole slate of movies, I'm most excited about that one and Doctor Strange 2. Um, but with Shang-Chi, I mean, with the, with the rings, we talked about this in the, in the previous portion of this episode. We're going to see um, the rings, are like, where do these rings come from? What do they mean? Is it going to be symbolic or not? In the comics, they were magical rings. Uh, they, they, I don't think they were really technology, or maybe they were made into technology later when, you know, the history was rewritten about the character and his rings. But I, I think we're going to see a kick-ass Mandarin. Um, now, I really, really loved the interpretation of the almost Mandarin from Iron Man 3, um, uh, who ended up being uh, Slattery, Kevin Slattery, uh, Ben Kingsley's character anyway. If they had gone with the Ben Kinsley, Kingsley character, I would have been okay with that. If that was actually the Mandarin, I would have been totally okay with that. They're going to have to come up with someone as interesting as Ben Kingsley to play that role. Uh, I'm very excited for that. It's, out of the whole slate of movies, I, it, 
Maybe I'm the most excited about this one. I probably. Now, a lot of you don't know who Shang-Chi is, uh, and that's, you know, that's good. Uh, because I think what's going to happen is um, they're going to be able to do a lot. Uh, like with Guardians, there was no expectations, and they were able to just, you know, but they actually got it right, which was fascinating. Um, but anyway, with Shang-Chi, um, super happy to say we have a Canadian actor playing the lead. Uh, he was from Kim's Convenience. Um, he's playing Shang-Chi. Like, what an awesome, I don't know. As a Canadian, I'm super stoked uh, about this. I, I think by having this in here, not only are they opening up the supernatural to the to the whole universe, to the whole MCU, but I think they're also opening up a, another side of grounded characters whose powers are a little bit different instead of, you know, um, instead of powers that are from an accident or a, a test experiment or, you know, we're seeing something else, like a different level of, of altered human, for uh, lack of a better word, um, where the guy, I mean, Shane Chi's awesome, and he's so awesome that some writers that were fans of, of him back in the '70s, when he was when he was a thing, um, they brought him back. And I mean, you see him in the pages of the Avengers, you saw him in the pages of the X Men. Like that's it. He is due, and um, I keep trying to. Uh, I lost a lot of my uh, comics and you know, in, in various things that happened over the years, and I, I don't have any of my Shang Chi anymore. I had them all in French because you were able to buy 12 issues for like five bucks or whatever it was back then. But man, I'm actually super stoked for Shang-Chi. That is the one, I mean, that is the one. That's the one I'm looking for and I, I, I honestly can't wait for. So, um, we're gonna cap this section off here. We're gonna run into the rest of the films in the next All right, <laughs> now I remember what I'd forgotten. <clears throat> the uh, The director of um, Wonder Woman was Patty Jenkins, and she was the first one approached to do Thor 2. And that was the request that Natalie Portman had given for the director she wanted, and that was the direction they were actually going in. And it didn't happen. I, my apologies for screwing that part up before, but anyway. Um, the last film on the slate, or the last uh, bit on the slate, is the series called What If. And this series is going to have a formal introduction of The Watchers in it, which, um, which you saw a, a brief glimpse of them in the... Uh, Guardians 2 is uh, the one, or it might have been Thor Ragnarok, I can't quite remember. But uh, Stan Lee is talking to a group of the Watchers. And this was one of the negotiations. Um, no, this must be. Yeah, no, it's definitely Guardians 2. Because James Gunn had negotiated with Fox uh, for a couple of trade offs for a couple things because he really wanted the Watchers. Um, and he also wanted uh, access, I think, to Ego, the Living Planet, and, and, and things like that. Um, so, the the series of the What If is going to take place off of uh, Infinity War slash Endgame. 
and they're going to be probability scenarios. What if this had happened instead of that? Um, I know one of them is what if Agent Carter had become Captain America? Uh, you know, just a few scenarios like that. And it's obviously based off the comic book, also called What If? And it was a very famous long-running one. And some of, like, some of the famous storylines that came out of the What If comic uh, were things like What If um, Jane Foster had become Thor, which actually happened later in the comics. Uh, what If Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four, which also later happened in the comics. Um, what If Rick Jones was the Hulk instead of uh, Bruce Banner. Uh, just a few of those. I, I, I have a large number of what if comics and they're really great scenarios and they're usually done by, um, I mean, they're one off issues. So it didn't have a regular series writer or artist or inker or colorist or any of that stuff. But, um, to, to have a series like that, it's going to be animated and then it's, it seems like it's a throwaway series, but they're actually getting the actual voices of the actual actors from the films uh, to, to do their own voices in the film. And, and it's like everybody. It's like it must, it must have been worked into the contract in some way, shape, or form that they would have to do uh, additional ADR, perhaps, or something like that, which is really what... I mean, it's kind of what you're doing in animation. You're kind of doing ADR work where you're, you know, redoing your lines... Uh, ADR is uh, audio digital relooping, I think, or something like that. It stands for because uh, uh, sound is never recorded off the ground in a film. It's it's never recorded off the camera or off the mics or you know the the, the sound is, but then it's patched in and, and corrected in studio. So the interesting thing with this is that. Um, they're getting all the actors to do this, and they're all going to be spin-offs, apparently, uh, off of the Avengers uh, Endgame movie and Infinity War. So, um, I think they're putting some importance on this, but I think what they're showing, like, the, the thing they talked about was alternate timelines and that sort of thing. They talked when uh, the Ancient One was talking to Bruce Banner, and they're talking about how... Um, she's giving us a visual representation of what happens when um, you go back in time and you, you do something that creates a, a branch off of the main timeline. Basically explaining alternate realities is explaining how that works. And really what what if is, it's, it's alternate realities where one thing changed everything and it's kind of going off that theory. So are the... I, <laughs> It's going to be really cool. And does it tie into things or is it just, just telling stories? Or is it going to give us more insight into things that happened and, and more background? I'm really interested to see what they do with that. But also the animation style that they're going to be going with. Is it going to be different from episode to episode uh, based on the material presented within that particular episode? Is, is that how they're going to do it? Or is it going to be, you know, uh, the same look all the way through it? Because I, I gotta tell you, what Sony did with uh, Into the Spider-Verse, I mean, Marvel has not put out an animated film of that quality on its own. Into the Spider-Verse was a Sony Pictures thing. And uh, it's freaking awesome. Like, if you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend going to see it because it is one of the most jaw-dropping films in terms of style, um, 
I don't know if I want to call it photography, but um, the way everything's shot, uh, the blending of styles, the the level of quality of the story, and all of that stuff is just phenomenal. I've never seen an animated film of this level. It is so unique unto itself. I, I don't think there's anything that would come close to that. Um, but anyway, the animation is going to be key. I mean, the storylines are going to have to be tight and they're going to have to be good. But what are you going to do visually? I mean, they've got effects and looks and tones and all that in the films, and they, they got it down really well. But what are they? What do you do in an animation film? You have to do something, and you're going to have to, you know, break barriers. And if you want people to watch this this darn thing, you're going to have to do something very special and very different to make it worthwhile. So, I don't have too many predictions about this, but maybe they're going to explain this the science behind alternate. Uh, timelines and all that maybe in some greater detail <clears throat> so you can take all this stuff and, and and make work with it so anyway I think that covers us there was a bunch of other things uh, that were also discussed these things all seem to have timelines all except for the blade thing blade doesn't have a timeline but they uh, I mean they unleashed the actor and showed the actor um, and, and talked about his involvement so I mean they're in a pre-production phase and there's probably a date they can assign to it but uh, the other stuff that they talked about yes there will be a Captain Marvel 2 um, I mean I think it's a pretty foregone conclusion that there's going to be another Spider-Man I know there was a two picture deal with Sony to do Spider-Man like a two original picture and then you know cameos and other stuff but it was a two picture deal and with Spider-Man just crossing just now, just crossing the one billion mark at the, at the global box office, um, I think they've proven that you know the way that they've redone Spider-Man because this is the third iteration of it, the way that they've done it works. Uh, everyone is happy with the casting, the direction, uh, the villains particularly. I mean, look at Michael Keaton in the first one, uh, rave reviews. Um, in a, a, a career redefining path that he's on from Birdman to this and you know a bunch of other stuff he's doing like, definitely one of the great actors of our generation of, of his generation like no no doubt about it um, and I'm I've been avoid I have not seen the current Spider-Man so I can't tell you how Jake Gyllenhaal did uh, but I mean he's been great in everything I've seen him in he's always a pleasure to watch so but and I think there's hints in that movie as to some of my theories here, so it's going to be interesting with this episode going out before I go see Spider-Man Far From Home and seeing if any of the hints of what I've said are actually going to show up in this film. I've been spoiler-free on the movie uh, up to now, so I think, damn, I think I'm good, man. Um, anyway, outside of that, um, what else, what else can we say? say Captain Marvel 2 was coming and I think that's a safe assumption that that was going to happen I mean that movie broke a billion so I think pretty safe to say that's going to happen but what about Ant-Man and the Wasp I don't I maybe I missed it but I didn't see any further mention of that um I really enjoy the Ant-Man films I, I really really do and to see Hope Van Dyne uh being Wasp was a, a great way to explain continuity and 
finding a way to blend Marvel continuity with, um, you know, with continuity otherwise uh, from the uh, MCU. Sorry, I just almost viewed an accident here on my drive. Um, so I hope those continue. What else do we got that uh, started? And I guess Spider-Man, that. Um, Thor 4, which we already covered. And outside of that, any second movies of anything? Oh, oh yeah, Guardians 3, sorry. Uh, that should have been the obvious one. We got a Guardians 3 coming. And James Gunn, the only thing that James Gunn said was, look, I'm doing Suicide Squad right now. I mean, he already wrote the script for Guardians 3, so the writing of the script is done. Once he's done, uh, done with doing Suicide Squad, I think there's no reason he can't just dive right into Guardians and start pre-production on that. Um, and he wants to do just, he wants to do it right and he wants to do it well, uh, before he comes back to Marvel. So, I mean, be patient. Uh, it's going to be great. I really liked Guardians 2. I know some people didn't, they didn't like it as much, but I thought Guardians 2 was a, a vast improvement over the first. I love the first one, but it just the expansion of everything. Kurt Russell was phenomenal, uh, playing Ego, all that sort of stuff. I really like that. I really love the interplay between... Um, I really like the interplay between uh, Nebula and Gamora. That was actually one of my favorite things in the film. There's just so much good in that film. But uh, that is my wrap-up. This went a little long, but I want to make sure I covered every base. I want to make sure we talked about every little thing. Um, so, which of these theories struck true with you? Which of these make the most sense? Which of these do you think will happen? Uh, you can message me. You can find me on Twitter. At, at Sean Geek. You can find me on Instagram at Sean Geek Podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Sean Geek Podcast. You can go to my website, seanmcginnity.ca, and you can message me on there. There is a little subscribe button in there. There's a subscribe button on all of those things. I'm also on a whole bunch of other places. You can find me. Just look up Sean Geek or Sean Geek Podcast, all one word, and you can find me on your favorite streaming service, on uh Twitch, on all those other ones, Imager, all those other ones. I'm kind of all, all over the place. But my main my main three are Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So you can find me there. Send me a message. Let me know what you think. And um, that's it, man. We'll see you guys on the flip side.